Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. All right. Hey, welcome back to After Hours. I'm one of your hosts, Jake Taylor, and joining me today as always is Toby Carlisle and Bill Brewster. Toby, what's uh, your topic for today? In the most recent 13F from Berkshire Hathaway, there is a $24 million purchase of the SPY, the, the, S, the S&P 500 ETF. Uh, it's utterly baffling, and I want to know what's going on. If we had one of those cheesy uh, radio show type of things, I'd be hitting the siren right now. Like, <laughs> Bill, uh, Bill, what are you going to talk about? We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Daily Journal as a potential investment, and uh, we'll touch on me getting dunked on by Charlie. <laughs> oh, my favorite topic. And uh, and I my segment's going to be uh, also on Daily Journal and some of my notes from it. And uh, also, we have a high-quality mailbag, so let's get into it. Big mailbag. Right after this. Tobias Carlisle is the founder and principal of Acquire's Funds. For regulatory reasons, he will not discuss any of the Acquire's Funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Acquire's Funds or affiliates. For more information, visit acquiresfunds.com. Let's get on the So, uh, first topic off the bat today Everybody's gone through the latest 13F of Berkshire. They've seen that he's got a big holding in Biogen, which some smart guys got there first. Uh, but more importantly, he's also um, got $24 million, which is like the interest that they earned before lunch on the cash pile. And they've bought SPY, which is the index, the ETF of the S&P 500. What is going on? No idea. I mean, I, it's hard to imagine that with that size of the bet that, that that's Buffett. But also, it makes no sense as a bet for Todd and Ted with the way that they're compensated, which is any alpha above the SPY. So would you would you put in your tracker within your your portfolio if you were trying to outperform it? Like you're just basically guaranteed to get it. I don't know. And that doesn't make any sense to me at this point. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I don't know how big he would like to go when he I mean, he's a guy that swings when he swings. But I I don't know. Maybe he's doing this as like a little, you know, uh, what do they call them? Easter eggs in the video games, right? Where it's like this is how things are going to start to go. I mean, <laughs> he's he has been asked for a long time about keeping cash in in an in index and he has said in the past that might be a really smart strategy. I have wondered why he doesn't have more in an index over the past years. Some of that's resulting, I guess. But at some point, that entity is so big, getting some levered ETF exposure maybe isn't the worst idea for them. But doesn't that create the problem that the, the time you've been saving this cash up, waiting for the opportunity to deploy it when the market gets cut in half. How does it help you to have your cash cut in half at the time that the market gets cut in half? Well, I don't know that that's really what he's doing. I think he's I think he's waiting for the elephant. And I guess he he had one apparently 
that was in the in the sniper sites or whatever last December two Decembers ago. Tesla probably just got yeah, too expensive. Definitely. For him. It was <laughs> probably definitely was that, Tesla. Yeah, makes sense. Well, you want to own the utility grid and all the cars, right? It's so space obviously and, that. Yeah. Yeah, well yeah, that's right. The, future. the math checks out there. <laughs> yep. Math checks out. You, you gotta own, own that stuff to get Tesla. to get to get a market return at this stage. <laughs> um but maybe I mean maybe the size of the deal that he was working on sort of told him hoarding cash above this number just doesn't make sense. Then buy your own shares. Buy them. There exactly. We go. That's that, a better me, idea. I mean, Berkshire has always, in my mind, been sort of a supercharged S&P 500, you know, bet on America, better cap allocation than average, probably you know, better patience than better average. Better return on invested capital than the average company and currently available at a cheaper price. So why would you buy yeah. a, a second-rate version of yourself when you can buy your stock back? Maybe Amen. he thinks he's Amen. so good a second-rate a second rate version of himself is pretty good. So I got a couple of – but he can get, he, he's got access <laughs> to the first-rate one and he knows it even better. That's right. So no, I, I don't know. I don't do know you want to hear my conspiracy theories? Yes, okay. please. So I, got, I got two cons- – this is not so much a conspiracy theory. Do I need to get theory. the hat, the tinfoil one or <laughs> – tinfoil undies for this one <laughs> i'm already wearing them so the first one is not so much a conspiracy theory but it's just like it's a balancing that they've got some sort of derivative exposure somehow and they need to have a balancing some hedge under the under the new rules you need to do something like that i have no idea that's just my theory the other theory now this is real tinfoil tinfoil yes. hat territory so i've got michael green coming up on the show in a few weeks time i'm interviewing him this week Michael Green says that Buffett knows that... So Michael Green's got this theory that we're transitioning... As we transition to passive sort of taking over the market, there's a tipping point where... Right, there's a tipping point where the market can't absorb the marginal dollar that goes into it. And what that causes is this exponential ramp and then a crash. And so... Uh, so he's hedged the ramp with a $24 million position. <laughs> well, then somebody said this even before Buffett had even before the 13F had come out. Somebody said um, this is why the, Green said this is why Buffett advocates for an S&P 500 allocation uh, for everybody who's, you know, when after Buffett passes on for his kind of heirs and so on. He says find yeah. a low cost S&P 500. So Green said, money. Because there's so going to be here's, this here's what I want you to ask, Mr. Green. He also has said that there's going to be a liquidity problem. So why would Buffett want to get everybody that he loves into a liquidity trap down the road? Yeah, that's a good question. Maybe that question's not as smart as I think it is, but <laughs> it's really I'm sure I'm sure Munger would. Uh would tear you apart just like earlier this week or yeah, last week. Know. Later on, later on, we can get into that. Yeah. So I, I, Dramatic foreshadowing. I tweeted this out because I was kind of interested in what everybody might think about. I was kind of trying to get people to talk about Green's theory. Instead, what everybody said was, because he said Buffett's being disingenuous about his real reasons for putting people into um, the S&P 500. You can't do that. You can't say that about Buffett. It cabbages people's minds. That's exactly Oof. what happened. Nobody could, it's nobody like talking could think. about religion. I even tried to explain to people that that's what I was trying to do, but 
but literally I would say I would say don't focus on that part of it focus on the focus on Green's theory and their response was well he's being disingenuous he's not being disingenuous because he's Buffett you're right it just cabbages people's thinking they're incapable of of having a rational conversation once you invoke the name that's true this it is religious but you know and I'm basically there too yeah I tried to do a very cartoonish version of explaining that problem that Green talked about in in my last quarterly letter and it is it is a pretty scary thing to imagine what it might look like for if you're not participating in the madness. Well, are we are we seeing it now? We may have been seeing it for the last five years. I don't know. Because when you look, I at... don't think things are that nuts yet, guys. But we'll look at. Okay. I think. I think. It, right. I think. No. I think that there are certain examples of risk on assets that are nuts. Microsoft. Shopify. That, I don't think oh, I was exactly. thinking like Argentinian bonds and I'll tell you what I Greek, think is going Greek on. Treasuries. Greek trading Greek at one percent from like fifty well, percent. Yeah. Trading tighter than US tre- ridiculous. That stuff's nuts. But that's not S P five hundred is nuts. I, I think that what is going on this is why I have my pin tweet right now. The that guy Skellicap had he his boss once told him at the top everybody's oh, time horizon extends to infinity and then he said unfortunately he forgot to invert and realized that at the perfect bottom everybody's time horizon extends to a day it's exactly right i know and i think that's what's going on with a lot of these names is people are just like well in 10 years think yeah. about what it's going to be and they that's might true of the liquidity right. side too think about that that's right but you got to live through some shit to get through 10 years and you got to hold it I actually think that that is the real answer, and I agree with you 100%. But that doesn't, I cannot find the argument that shows why Green is wrong. I just frankly cannot. And so that means that I'm, I have to kind of accept that he's probably right. I mean, I've had Corey Hofstein's taken a look and said he, that it should show up in more illiquid names. I frankly don't, I can't fully understand Green's point, and so I can't refute it at all even though i feel that it's wrong and i think that your explanation bill is the better one i like that you think my explanation is better. <laughs> he my... i'm recording this I in like... my journal yeah <laughs> bill was right so i'm just gonna tap pat myself on the bat real back real quick um yeah i don't i don't know but that is what i think is going on i think with a lot of these assets that the current i mean it's it, this isn't like some uh, genius take of mine, but the the current free cash flow yield, in order to buy the equity, you must be saying that it's going to grow for a very long time and the far out duration. And I think that after a long time of people not really remembering what pain feels like in a true economic sense, um, and I'm, you know, the, at least in the financial industry, I think people are just so willing to all the pitches that I hear, like, oh, don't worry about it. Just look, you know, five five to seven years out. It's it's going to be really reasonable. And I think the oddest I think that's thing, a symptom of where we are more than what people actually believe. The oddest thing about this boom or this bubble is that I do think that the market has almost got the ranking of the stocks right. Like it is the very best, fastest growing, biggest, most cash generative, highest margin businesses that are getting all of the attention, which is why if you're like a compounding value guy, 
you've done exceptionally well and rightfully so. Like you figured it out, you're getting paid for it. So I just, I, I, it's, it's an incredibly difficult market for a guy like me who's like a deep value guy. And I don't want to make the transition to compound town, particularly not when I think that the trains well and truly left the station. The, the time to be a compounder was 2009, 2010. Yeah, well, I'm giving a talk, and part of what I'm going to talk about is, you know, my somewhat of my transition to more of a Garpy mindset, which is really just summarized as in the past, I really discounted the future. And I think I did that to my detriment. And I think I need to at least be willing to accept that the future is somewhat no, like nothing in the world is knowable. So I don't know why I overweighted the present as much as I did and discounted the future as much as I did, which is really what's going on in my head. But I said uh, in some of my slides, I was like, I think I might be making this transition at exactly the wrong time. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the fear, right? But knowing that, you sort of try to put up some barriers around your yourself. and The private's you- concerned that if the private reverses himself, the gunnery sergeant will only beat him harder. That's a full metal jacket. I've misquoted I think it. I just got roughly right. That. <laughs> Jake, you, you had that... Somebody asked about the paper that we were talking about last week where you said this is the um, – well, can, you, can you explain the paper? Uh, sure. It was, um, it was just a, a, an observation of uh, – what was it like? Why well, don't have my notes in front of me. You're it was like 10,000 companies over it. It was a lot of companies years, over years. A, a decent time period. And it looked at how long was their competitive advantage sustainable – uh, and they use different metrics to kind of identify it. Uh, and they picked the best ones in each industry. Um, so it was like adjusted a little bit for each industry's like sort of natural state of order. Uh, but the sustainability of being on the top was incredibly low. Uh, like, you know, more than 10 years, it was something like 5%. Right. More than 20, it was down at like a half of a percent. Right. And then, like, wherever the farthest boundary of the study was, it was like, God, Matrix is swallowing them. The Matrix Matrix is swallowing them. You went just the the final point when you were in the Matrix. (laughs) Right as he was about to give everybody the pill. (laughs) I took the wrong pill. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We all did. Maybe not so, Bill. Maybe Bill's taking the red pill right now, whatever it is. I don't know. I don't know. I, I hope I'm not taking poison. So just what was the last point? The last point that it was, it's incredibly difficult to be on a very, very long term. To Over have 20 years, company. it was like 0.05% or something, which is like one company or three companies uh, or something. Yeah, no, it was more than that because they studied so many, but it was like, you know, you have a one in 200 shot of if a base rate of picking something with a 20 years worth of sustainable competitive advantage that just means so, it earns you, more than the its cost of capital right well I, they had a better than i, I don't know ROI. the exact methodology yeah better than all their competitors on different metrics um so you know the takeaway would be for us like all of these valuations are predicated often on 10 sometimes further out cash flows if you're imagining that you are going to be the smart one that picks one in 200 and you're better than everybody else at this game, then kudos to you. I just question if we can all be that good. Is there a revolution going on? Though? Is that, you know, OSAM had that paper saying when the car came out, whatever it was, 26 to 41, there was a period of time where if you look at price to book value, it gets 
absolutely smashed through that period of time. Value investing doesn't work for those 16 years. Are we now in a 16-year period where the whole economy transitions to this, that software layer being built out? And if you're on the software layer, then you're making money. And if you're not, then you just... And that, that was one of the statistics that I saw yesterday. If you exclude, I think, you know... the Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, or FAMG, or one of those acronyms from the market, the earnings are down 7.5% year on year, which is a lot. Yeah, that is um, a lot. Yeah, you could throw that in with the Japan GDP print that was pretty scary. Was it 6.3, too, that, down 6.3. Negative, yeah, and yeah. that was like pre coronavirus, so yikes. Um, what the interesting thing that I've been thinking about, like I'm sure other people have been thinking about it for four years, but. I'm slow, so bear with me, is the amount of efficiency that is in these bigger organizations. And like a lot of the times when people talk about data, I think it's just total nonsense. But I do think that some of the bigger organizations that have the capability to come in and analyze the data, I wonder if that like moat, for lack of a better term, is just getting wider and wider and wider because you're not going to be able to enter and compete without some sort of informational edge and when that's so proprietary and it's so hard to analyze right because a lot of people are like well we have so much big data it doesn't matter if you don't know what to do with it Mm -hmm. um the ability to actually analyze it i think is where there's going to be real defensibility i just sort of wonder if if these bigger companies are getting so efficient that it's just very very difficult to compete with and combine that with regulatory capture and you got some nice the big nice tech companies like yeah is that like the oil is the new information or information is the new oil kind of idea and if I, you're I are they idea. saudi arabia yeah and we're you know i don't know this is where i think like marcelo p lima is correct to advocate on behalf of facebook because facebook is able to get through the data and deliver insights to the small guy that would not otherwise be he wouldn't have access to. So if they can sell that data to the small guy, then maybe that guy can actually compete. Um, I don't know exactly where the cutoff is, but I remember Mark Cuban talking recently about, he just said, AI is super, super tough. And the big four are really the four that can get there. And you just need a lot of brute strength and a lot of willpower and smarts to be able to analyze vast quantities of data. So it's just something I've thought about. Because you look at the persistence of margins, and it's either consolidation, which I think is somewhat overplayed, but there's some truth in that, or there's something that's making these guys just hard to compete with. I don't know. Doesn't that kind of ignore history, though, as far as innovation goes, and like the the lack of predictability about it, and it's it's come from a garage somewhere usually, and not a giant corporation that's supposed to be the one that has all the resources, right? Yeah, I think it also ignores nature, right? I mean, things grow and then they die. So it is very hard to see how you compete with something like YouTube, for example. Yeah. Or even well, that's Google the thing search. With the internet, right? The internet trends towards a winner and sometimes you get a second a second player that's somewhat close or whatever, but like think of marketplaces, right? eBay dominated that. And there's no I mean, Facebook has a shot like that they right. have the you know, that's a big enough audience that they could get it done. But um, I don't know. A lot of this stuff does appear to be winner take all. All right. That's a good, I think that's a good point. Let's, what's, what, what's, uh, what's your topic, Jake? 
Uh, I was thought we'd just do some riffing on the Daily Journal meeting that we uh, yeah, that uh, we went to last week or when was it? Very recently. It's probably a good time for me to apologize to the people that last week I told not to ask Munger for life advice. <laughs> but <laughs> but I still do. I still do uh, stand by somewhat. Somewhat I said my tone was not right, and I should probably get some nuance. What happened? This. No, I. Well, with me at Daily Journal, or generally speaking. Let's start. So with, let me, let's paint. Let's paint the picture first, though. Bill shows up, and he's he's come from the beach. <laughs> he's wearing like a hoodie and shorts and flip flops. Right, and everyone else is, you know, dressed up to come pray at the altar, and uh, Bill out of the gates. First question of the day is Bill. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah. what, what did you ask him, Bill? I asked him short version something along the lines of whether or not value investors should be focused on U.S. companies because many of them are quality, and I gave him too much wiggle room. And I should have just limited it to quality companies um, because my theory of the case is becoming that the deep value behavioral bias is going to be arbed away by ETFs and algos. So if you want to survive quality and having a differentiated view on that part of the business is a good way to do so. Quality can be arbed away too. Yeah, well, you need some sort of you need to have some sort of insight that you're focused on that a computer can't figure out. But a computer can figure it out. At this point, if you know whatever factor you're trying to figure out, if it's quality and value, if you think that's the that's the way forward, you know, there's an ETF that does that. If it's momentum yeah. and value, there's an ETF that does that. And you know, you think that you're some uh, unique little snowflake identifying these things. You're not. You're, you're subject to the factors like everybody else is. And it's just that your factor at the moment isn't sort of, or is either having a good run or a bad run. Yeah. And it's well, not that you're picking tests, the wrong stocks. Bro. Yeah. I mean, that's, the, that's almost like the, the, how you know that it's not going to work is if it's working up to this point. You need to find something that, that worked really well up until about a decade ago. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, one of, the, one of my notes that I had from the meeting was that, um, Munger said that Chinese companies are stronger than the U.S. companies, which I found to be actually kind of a surprising statement myself. Well, they're backed by the government, so <laughs> yeah. you got that going right. for you. Yeah, that's fair, but that's – I'm not sure. I mean, look, I understand why. I, I even felt like he dunked on me a little. I've listened to it twice. <laughs> uh, in. I'm not. I'm not sure – that he necessarily would have disagreed if I had phrased my question better. How would you have phrased it better? I would have excluded the U.S. part because he it gave him an out that, like, you just watch so many years of listening to people ask them questions. They, they find the thing in the question that they can get out of the question in, and they do it, and then it allows them to go into their spiel. Mm -hmm. And I'm disappointed in myself. Well, counselor, that's why you don't ask a question that you don't already know the answer to. And you were addressing oh. a, a, another attorney then too. Oh, my I God. Know. And one that's of course very he was going to duck it. This art. I just know. put the gloves up and leaned back, leaned back on, the, uh, on the ropes and just let you have your go. And then he came alive. It's upsetting. <laughs> so another couple 
quotes. Maybe you guys want to riff on these. Uh, if you're uneasy, welcome to the club. Mm. I'm very easy. <laughs> Moats are disappearing rapidly. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting one, right? Yeah. I disagree with that for the reasons that we've just discussed. I just think that's the same as it ever was. It's always somebody's castle's falling into the ocean and somebody else is building a new one that's not going to be breached for a decade or two decades or a generation. I was talking with somebody who I would name, but I'm not sure he wants to be uh, have this attributed to him. But he said that um, moats are... His, in his view, people say moat way too often, and it's really just operational excellence and execution. And I think that's probably right. I mean, there aren't that many businesses that are endowed with winning. The inevitables, so to speak. Well, that's why Buffett calls them franchises, right? To distinguish yeah. them from just wonderful companies. There are some that do have that, uh, whatever it is, genetic protection, and there other most of them don't. Yeah. I think that's right. Other uh, <clears throat> other takeaways for me: look for a game where you're wise and they're stupid. That's hard. That's really really hard. <laughs> I don't know what you end up on these days. I mean, I think I think I'm doing that, but that's just not working. So I gotta I gotta go back to the drawing board on that one. Yeah, what's your game, Bill? I I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, think... I, try, I do know. I try to be patient. I look yeah. for certain situations, and I try not to bet frequently. And as I have gotten better at doing this, my turnover has lowered, and I've begun to think more like truly long term. And I am hoping that you know the church that I pray to is the right one because that's what I have bet on. I also think you do a lot more work than uh, a lot of folks. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I I don't I don't look at nearly as many names as most people do. I think I look more deeply. I think you look deeply. I think you look more deeply. Yeah, that's yeah. what I think. So, Easily. you know, we'll see. I those guys, the thing that is tough about their strategy is when you wait and you wait and you wait and you wait, then you really got to bet big. And like even Buffett sort of blew his wallet a little bit too quickly. In 08, 09, like it's, it's very, very hard once they get to their size, especially to deal with the cash drag on the way up and then be like, no, I'm the one that at the bottom is going to deploy everything. And I think I, I I think the opportunity cost of patience in in a holding cash portfolio, it just I'm not sure it makes sense to me, uh, at least for about- myself. I'm not trying to come at them. They have, you know, I pray to their church, so. The hardest thing about timing is that the market has got more expensive over time. Like however you cut it. So for example, price to sales today, it's the highest price to sales we've ever seen in the market. There's a Bloomberg article by John Authors. Uh, he says, that, you know, the reason is that margins are very high and we haven't had a drawdown for a very long time. But that is, that's been true. Like what, so if you use Cape, whatever you want to use, and you can get data going back to, you can get DJA, that's Dow Jones, uh, like the reconstruction of the Dow Jones Industrial Average, pre the Dow Jones Industrial Average, going back to like 1880 or 1860 or something like that, and you can run it forward using Cape to see, you know, what where would you be invested, where would you not be invested? 
basically the and then you can put so here's the median here's one standard deviation here's two standard deviations basically it's just got wider and wider as you've gone along so it's been harder and harder to to time because it gets more expensive each each cycle now i don't know if that's like a the same observation that 700 years of uh uh-huh. interest rate of interest rates going to zero or if it's just that's a cyclical top i don't know the answer to any of those things i'm just telling you what i can see in the data like today's the most expensive uh that it's ever been and, and the down at least last time around wasn't down as far as other down times either like we right we came back down to sort of like average right and then went back up from there like a golf ball off a concrete path it was it was it was rapid. It was didn't dramatic. feel that way though. To no. the youngins listening, it was brutal. Well, there were a few tw- like the those two last quarters before it bounced were all, like each like down thirteen percent. Like that's a that's, that's a, a that's a big that's a that's almost vertical freefall. It's yeah, and it's well, hard to get invested. And the caps in too. Like when you come off of the numbers get big also. Like it's not just the amount of wealth that has is repriced is a very, very large number at that point. You know what I mean? You know, one thing that's interesting, you were talking about, you know, Buffett and timing. And I find it interesting his, where he came into the capital structure on a lot of those deals. Mm -hmm. Like he came in with preferreds a lot more than- Convertible refs. Yeah, that was, that was a little bit, not quite- Showing his his hand a little bit. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. Yeah, even uh, like a traditional franchise, which I know it's eroded over the last decade, but like Harley Davidson, he didn't even take the equity and he took that, uh, which, you know, if you're going to bet on a brand, right, he's a traditional brand guy. Mm. You, you, I could see how he would or how someone would think he would take the equity, but he just wasn't having it, which I, I also it's a freaking discretionary toy. So in the middle of a depression, are people really going to be buying motorcycles? Probably not. But, but space trips for sure. Oh yeah, <laughs> it might be the only place you can go to get away. Uh, yeah, I'm ready to go to see what's on the dark side of the moon. No one's to gonna... the duration to the duration comment earlier. I remember having conversations with people back then who you know, oh, I didn't need the money when I invested and everything looked good, and now I might actually need the money because I'm losing my job. And what should I do with the money in the market? That is not the time to have that conversation with yourself. Like that's a good way to lose money for a, a long period of time. Um, I, I was buying net nets because I think I thought if everything goes to zero and we liquidate, at least you know you get some money back with these guys. There you go. And yeah, other people too. were saying you should buy better businesses when it's like this. It's like, ah, you know. Ah. You don't know nah. if these if these businesses are still going to be operating. <laughs> it felt pretty real at the time. Like it felt like a. It felt For like sure. this could like is this going to be a twenty nine style crash? Is they're like this is a credit crisis. This is not your average drawdown. the The market is, the market is going down, but industry is seizing up. Credit is seizing up. Banks are failing. Like this could be yeah. a real thing. Well, Buffett said it was financial Pearl Harbor. I mean, I don't think he used that term lightly. I think, you know, I back then I was into Ron Paul. I think if I had gotten my way, I'd be living in a very different world right now, and I'm not sure I'd like it. <laughs> You'd you'd have owned a lot of gold. That's right. Yeah. Well, some big guy that lived on my block would end up holding the gold. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But I would have made the right decision. <laughs> any more? Any more? Any more uh, gold from the from the uh, uh, DJ committee? 
he said uh, that a couple of his tricks were one to take the high road, and two, you have a, a moral duty to become more rational. How do you day. take the high road? What's that mean? Uh, well, I think maybe it's low. We go high. That's what the Obamas would say. Sorry to all the Republicans I just triggered. Um, no, I don't know. This is what I, but this is what I was sort of ranting about last week. Like, it's not genius to tell people to act like good humans. And, you know, like the parenting comment, be a good example. Yeah, no shit. Like, that was my high school, uh, that was our theme, right? Valedictorian uh, speech. No, it wasn't even that. Lead by example was was what the saying of the high school was. Like, I mean, this is not – he's not like some sage in that way. And also – and Charlie, if you're listening, I'm sorry. Charlie listens. I'm they all sure get, Bill he and does. Charlie and Warren will get together to listen. Dude, they just they talk about how great we are. They're one of the – they're three of the ten. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, – you know, he has said my kids think that I'm a book with two legs. Like, I don't want that to be my legacy for my kids. And I think you're a a, a, a cell phone with uh, with two hands. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right, and that's a real problem. So maybe that's maybe that's the lesson to take out of that is invert you're a, that. You're a Robin Hood account with two legs. That's no. <laughs> I'm a Twitter Twitter fiend. Yeah. Speaking of fiends, uh, my kid got a, a chocolate milkshake yesterday at Epic Burger. The look on his face, I swear he was a drug – like he was like cracked yeah, yeah, out. That's of, the first like, time. Like a chocolate shake. I was like, this is messed up. <laughs> I'm kind of worried. It is kind of fun when you give them the first big – like my daughter got her first juice box. I remember that distinctly when she like had a birthday party at three or something like that. And it was just – she just stopped and drained it to the bottom. Just like more. <laughs> more now. <laughs> Um, I'm going to piggyback Daily Journal real quick and and sort of make this a, a long segment um, and co-opt it as my own. I want to believe those guys are going to win and like I love all of them. But you've got Munger up there talking about like how he doesn't even know how to use the, the Google machine. And like if you're recruiting talent, they said that there's – you know, he goes, I wish that we had a, a – I wish we could say we're swimming in talent, but we don't have enough. It's like, yeah, dude, you're running sort of a tech company. The CEO is 80. You don't know how to use Google. Like, I just don't know how that entity attracts talent. Uh, it's cheap. It's really tough. Someone like some, some deep value guy gets in there and takes it over and transforms it. Maybe. It's got to get cheap first, though. It's arguably not that expensive. I mean, I was I was watching somebody did a manual of ideas presentation on it in 2019. Um, it, it might be on YouTube now, but I mean, look, the scuttlebutt the guy did was really good. Uh, they do have some positive free cash flow. Finally, the revenues are ramping from the subscriptions, and then the other revenues, which is like payment velocity stuff that comes through they get a skim on that so good things are starting to happen but i just DJ you're paying a, is software as a service a pretty, you're paying right. a pretty full price though for that for that SaaS business it's tucked in there right it seems like it i mean you can't look at the rest of SaaS and be like oh well it's 15 times i mean that stuff's growing like a weed uh daily journal now whatever they create is going to be sticky so that's worth a lot but the growth. What do you think about the the idea that they're 
kind of pursuing there of going into places that are hard to get into as its own kind of moat, working with governments specifically. Yeah, I mean, I like it. I, I pulled up, there's a, a contract if you just like Google Cook County Journal Technologies, and I was going through that and just sort of seeing, you know, what the implementation looked like. Mm, it's not easy. Out of there. Uh, it's really, it appears very tough. I didn't get the billing structure and all that, which is what I really would have liked. Um, yeah. I'm sure you can find it though. Cause it's all, I mean, when you're dealing with governments, it's yeah, all, it's in all RFPs. And... Yeah. I, uh, if have... I cared, I would do it. I'm I... not sure I care. I have a confession that I bought daily journal co, uh, in about 2000 and maybe it was eight or nine, not knowing that Charlie Munger was the, uh, was involved oh, there just because it was cheap. Yeah, That's you got that securities portfolio for right. less than the price of the stock at that point. Right. And then I sold it like for like 100% pop, thinking that that was all the money you thinking could make. you were a genius. Yeah. <laughs> then found this out is... afterwards, oh, Charlie's in that one. Whoops. Somewhat related because of the securities portfolio uh, to the people that think that I dunk on them for Graph Tech and uh, Pabri following Watching Buffett sell Wells has not put a great feeling in my stomach. Mm. He is rarely wrong on financials. But Daily Journal's not unloading. That's true, but Daily Journal's not where the real money is. Yeah. Do you guys want to do they're some... Off, they're off a lot. Uh, I think they had, like... Um, this is off memory, but directionally, it's right. I think they're down from 430 million shares to, like, 360-ish and wells i've got some uh, mailbag questions should we i got a big we got a big mailbag let's i got a mailbag it. too so let's do it so uh the, the actually the first question was the first topic that we discussed the um and that was from arbitrager 92 from the youtube comments which uh which we read uh that was a good question uh this is a mailbag question from the the great man ian castle uh <laughs> hi ian not to be a Debbie Downer, but I wonder how many algos are set to short Berkshire the second Buffett passes away and DJ Co with Munger. I would expect both those events to turn into ghost towns to DJ Co immediately and Berkshire within five years. What do you guys think about that? Well, there's people love the community, especially for Berkshire. And I think they're, I mean, uh, Bill, do you go to Berkshire? How much of a percentage of why you go is to hear Warren and Charlie, and how much of it is to catch up with friends that you see that one time a year? Zero percent Warren and Charlie, three percent the video at the beginning, <laughs> and then the rest to catch up with people that I don't see often. Okay. so Now, I, now a lot of that's because they're on YouTube, right? So I do eventually watch the meeting, but I never go – if I'm ever there, I go to the second story. There's like a, it's like don't a club. give it away. That, don't give it away because that's right, I'm no, joining no. you this time around. My yeah. bad. My bad. <laughs> everybody, so I, everybody. I, I wait online at 4 a.m. and I just go and I sit down <laughs> with everybody else. It's the best thing I've ever done. <laughs> I it's hate fantastic. that feeling like I'm back in a lecture. Everybody's super anything. polite to each other. No one is really a dick about seats. It's the it's a joy. So so for me, it's probably more 50-50, I would say. I mean, I I enjoy hearing them live. There's a different energy than when I watch the videos. I it 
And it's not that they're the message is different. It's the medium and how I absorb it is it has more gravity when it's live for me. So um, I, I, it's still 50-50 for me. But, I, I, I mean, we all still are going to want community. And maybe something else pops up to take its place. But I'm not sure what that would be at this point. And I, I'm still going to want to go. Especially, you know, I'll hear these other guys that are behind like they picked him for a reason he's not going to pick dummies that aren't going to have interesting things to tell us right i still don't I think it's going to be as popular no it won't be as popular it'll be it'll be a true value play at that point again. i still think berkshire the company does very well for the reason that it's a better collection of businesses uh than the s p 500 so it'll be comparable to that and they've got smarter guys in there or at least guys who are thinking that way we don't know exactly what their what their track record what do you think like about this yeah. terry smith comment about how there's no reason to have it anymore and it should be broken up i think people are going to hate when i say this but i don't i would not mind them selling off some of those businesses and making some sort of calculated decisions on which ones still sort of satisfy the hold forever i mean what do you want them to spin off I, I don't know. I don't know. The, like, it, I don't know everything that's in there, but I do think that there's some stuff that is probably irrationally held on to. And I think that it's fine. And I don't know that it matters all that much. What I what I don't want is for the insurance company and the utility business to ever depart. I mean, that that to me is such a good combination of tax shields and efficient um, debt. But I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I think Terry's probably got some point there. And I think Todd and Ted are smart enough to do it in the right way. However, their roles sort of get get a, you know, if they leave, then you might have some issues. I don't think they're leaving, are they? I hope not. Those you guys don't take are... the gig in the first place. Uh, maybe you do. Maybe you just think, oh, I'll just sit. I'll be there for 10 years and then I can go and. I'll, I'll buy Spy. And I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll be the guy know, who runs Berkshire. Does the Pope leave the church after he becomes the Pope? Like, I think that's why you went there. Well, I shouldn't that, say that about the Pope. They I'm were both sorry. already very wealthy and successful at the time they took the gig there, right? So it wasn't like they were doing it. One of them was buying buying the Glide Lunch with him, right? Two years in a row. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think they're good guys. Like, I think they're, they're doing it because they like Berkshire. We'll see how charismatic they are. I mean, that matters and how forthcoming they are and how willing they are to share their minds. I think that that's a big part of Berkshire. But it's like a classic network effect. If if we all keep going, it's going to be a sweet-ass event. I mean, the Friday night is awesome. I enjoy Saturday getting rowdy in Omaha. Like that, I never thought that I would say that in my life, but I like it. The Markel brunch on Sunday is great. It's a, it's a great weekend. Gorat Sunday night dinner is always my debriefing time that's like my go-to now you're gonna have our 10 fans all over you at dinner i know that's okay <laughs> the, i think the hot tip for anybody going to gorat's is that buffett's favorite steak is garbage and you want to get something that that, that tastes a bit better really uh, the, the t-bone double hash browns I, I don't mind so much about it was mine was just i'm a i'm a i grew up in a beef cattle area i like i like a good steak and it, it's got to have a big char on it and it's got to be pink on the inside. Otherwise, just throw it away. Yeah. I don't care so wow. much about the cut, but just that's what I want. I used to eat it bleeding, uh, like purple. Blue um, rare? You like I, a blue rare? 
I used to. Now I can't. My stomach can't handle it. Anyway, I digress. Um, what about, I got one uh, about Daily Journal. Is that does uh, anybody show up after? No, I don't think so. I do love me some L.A. though. If Kaufman were to take it over, I would sit there and listen to Kaufman speak for as long as he's willing to speak. That guy's awesome. We'll throw a value after hours uh, live in uh, in in to replace the DJ Co meeting. That, oh, that's DJ K started out with like 10, 10 people showing up to those meetings. I went to the first. I went to the first one when they transitioned away from um, you know it used Wesco. to be yeah Wesco when it there was like. Maybe there were like 120 people in a little room. It was it was pretty small. Yeah, I mean, we were at one point going into Daily Journal's office, right. and I was like sitting on some guy's desk in the lobby. <laughs> yeah. He's oh, yeah. trying he's trying to work, and I'm like knocking his stapler over. <laughs> yeah, I think that was like four years ago. Was the last one in that in that facility, right? That was got a little cramped. Yeah. Munger drove his Bentley up. That was dope. It was cool when it was really small. I had Jason Zweig to the right of me and somebody else might have been Monish, but right on my left i was like oh this feels pretty good this feels right yeah Wag's a cool dude uh i met him once and i was like i really like you and you can write really well all right so <clears throat> this is uh this is a question about uh style drift if i could summarize it he said in honor of valentine's day here's a sincere mail mailbag question i've been faithfully and happily married to one woman over 23 years however when it becomes when it comes to my portfolio strategy, I'm the most promiscuous guy you'll ever meet. I fall in love with one strategy and then completely ditch it for the next. I'm smitten with indexing right up until uh, the concentrated temptress bats her eyes and I come running. Um, Great question. Why Why am I such an investing whore? I thought we just got our first manga life question. I know I'm destroying my own gains, chasing returns like skirts. Why can't I settle down and commit the nice strategy next door? That's a that's a that's a <laughs> God, question that a... for you and your own personal God. I think that's a that's a hard I one. Well, I didn't name the person uh, intentionally. I thought it was a I thought it was a pretty funny question. Is this and in one your... that we struggle with? Is, are you writing your own mailbag questions right now? <laughs> I outed myself. <laughs> This is submitted from Bill's Journal. I don't know who that guy is. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know. Uh, the answer to the question is really tough. I mean, it's very hard to stick to a strategy when it's not working. And that's, I, I think that's the essence of investing. I have managed to do it, but it's it's creating massive cognitive dissonance. So it's hard. And I, I mean, we're, not, we're not through the other side yet. So I might, I might give in and convert. That's I not mean, there's happen, always possible. <laughs> there's there's always something very attractive about that other side right that is the one that's winning and it makes sense the one that's making money winning, right it's like of course that's going to be winning of course that's an attractive proposition until until it isn't i and find that a few market difficult. cycles right that's the way to sort yourself out just go through a few market cycles see a few cycles see yeah, what well, works all the way through the cycle yeah and what you can stick with like the greenblatt thing of I would never be able to stick with momentum if it if it went wrong like just makes so much sense to me um yeah. it's got to be the strategy for your uh for your style bot or for your personality. personality one of the things that Corey Hofstein said in our interview that I thought was really interesting he said momentum is not monolithic momentum is this moving feast at sometimes it's low volatility sometimes it's quality sometimes it's deep value 
And I mm. thought that is really interesting. Like maybe that is why, because if you look at the, the momentum factor, mm. it mm. is the most robust factor. It's the one that's always catching the yeah, trend. Whatever's the hot check, yeah. it's in it. Mm. It's the it's the Leonardo DiCaprio of strategies. The thing no, you have to like, know though is get, Ryan Christensen in high school. It is the thing that gets taken out the, up to the woodshed and destroyed when the market goes down, and then it doesn't work for a year afterwards. So you have to you have to really know the strategy to do it properly. You can't be the guy who gets into it late cycle. Hmm. Then you end up with syphilis. <laughs> That's a Daily Journal joke of dysentery. What's the Daily Journal joke? Oh, Munger just was talking about uh, delaying gratification. And if you can't do that, uh, it's it's a disadvantage and in the investment world. And also you can end up with syphilis. I don't know what to say there. Do you guys have any... I love when Buffett gets pervy too. He says yeah. some stuff that's like, oh my God. I've heard through the rumor mill that he likes to tell a dirty joke, and that that doesn't surprise. He does. He tells dirty jokes on. uh, He tells dirty jokes publicly. That's right. He loves them more than. He's pretty good at. At the bottom of the seventy-four, or maybe it was some. I think it was seventy-four. Somebody said to him, "How do you feel right now?" Because the market was way down. He said, "Like an oversex guy in a whorehouse, something like that." That's right. Yeah. It's pretty aggressive. (laughs) <laughs> do, do you guys have any more insights here or should, should, I've got one more mailbag question here I, I wish get, I had a better answer for that it is a that's just I guess that's just life right try to stay faithful and learn a little bit more yeah find someone that's a good idea read the Buffett biographies see that it works read other business biographies pound it in here's my mailbag Thanks. cue Oh, the other thing is, is like, there's just not a right answer. I mean, you can see it in different asset classes. I don't care if it's real estate. I don't care if it's stocks, like whatever. Different people win different ways. <clears throat> but like, I don't think anyone can win playing other people's games. I just fundamentally don't think it. I mean, I was a reasonably good golfer. I would never do well if I was trying to play the other guy's game. What about in Bloodsport when Jean-Claude Van Damme adopts a different fighting style? of each person who he confronts until he gets through to the end. So that's a really good point. And <laughs> what I would say to that is until I could see him fight Steven Seagal, I'm not sure that I can actually answer yeah, the that's question. That's a good point. Okay, here's my mailbag question. CBASD on the site. How did you come up with the def- your definition, sort of following on from our last discussion, but how, how did you come up with the definition of your personal stock universe? I think you mean strategy. There there are several methods in the world to search for stocks, growth, value, momentum. How did you decide where to apply your method? Well, I saw how well it was working for everyone else in late <laughs> when value had its absolute heyday. And then, uh, you know, you get sucked into it and then you're too dumb to get off of it. And, uh, <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> Sorry, that's a little overly pessimistic. I'm I'm joking. Uh, What's the truth and, for me at least? <laughs> yeah. There's a bit of some truth to it, but it 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 just made sense to me, and that in a fundamental, like deep in your bones kind of way, where it's hard to imagine it not being anything other than that. It just made sense to me, and I 
and I couldn't, uh, I guess it wasn't smart enough to find something else that made more sense for a different time period. You got infected. Again? You got inoculated. You're the inoculated investor. Yeah. I, I mean, this, the thing is, I have just never seen anywhere in the world that owning businesses and assets has not been a good strategy over the long term. So then the question becomes, well, how do I want to own those? And I find the world of qualitative research to be a fulfilling one. I enjoy doing it. And the the way of thinking about owning a stock like a business is just something that makes a lot of sense to me. So, uh, you know, I don't know, after three years of reading and thinking and questioning everything that I know, it was an easy decision. <laughs> Bill, do you think that, um, you know, we've kind of talked about this before in different contexts, but if you're, is there anything to be said about picking the kind of companies that you just want to root for to win? Like the people the cultures, I feel like sometimes with, with deep value, you, there's not as much quite to root for there. And you're just like, I'm buying this cause it's just stupidly cheap, uh, you know, and I don't even care if it goes out of business. Uh, but I want, you know, I just kind of want to get a re-rating on it. Whereas maybe some other investments you could make where you just like, man, I just want these guys to win. Like they're doing things the right way. Yeah. I, so this, this question, I will answer it two separate ways. If you're in a hedge fund, I think you need you, you owe a duty to your people that are investing with you to do exactly what you told them you would do and earn the highest return. Uh, if you are running your personal portfolio and you're going to follow these businesses, I think it's more fun to own things that you are rooting for and that you understand and that you use. Like, you know... I own some Philip Morris. I can tell you owning that is not particularly exciting to me. Like doing, you know, research on cigarette sales is not something I love. You're not rooting for those guys to succeed? Not really. <laughs> no. And honestly, I should probably look into cannabis a lot more because I am rooting for that. I mean, I, I think it's a better mousetrap for what people need. Uh, and I think it's a lot healthier. And I... You know, there's Swedish Match is a company that some of the dads around here are using Zin a lot. That's one I might look into. Uh, it's like nicotine patches. Mm. It, but it, that serves a need and delivers a product in a safer way. Like, I, I would not be upset. Like, I don't have this I'm not going to touch nicotine thing. But, like, just my mom smoked her whole life. Like, rooting for cigarettes in any way, shape, or form is just, like, sort of offensive. Yeah. It's. I think it's cheap. So. What about AB InBev in that same model? Well, I guess I'm a, I'm more okay justifying beer, but I do think alcohol is one of the most dangerous drugs ever invented. So uh, it's it's somewhat hard for me to root for that. Yeah. Was alcohol invented? Well, I don't know how uh, somebody had to, yeah discover it right. But I I think it's a it's impossible to argue to me that people don't destroy their lives in one night when they're too drunk. Like, I mean, the amount of harm that is inflicted on society from alcohol and how ubiquitous and widely accepted it is, is one of the things that makes my head explode. It is very interesting that we are so blasé about that. <laughs> yeah, it's basically cocaine. I mean, not really, but like sort of. I mean, like you, you drink a lot, you do crazy shit, right? And like people are like, ah, it's legal, so whatever. It's like, okay. I mean, I don't know. I'd have to save that for another podcast. 
Well, all right. I don't know, Toby. Is there any part of you that, that wishes to want to root more for your investments? Or- for sure. I mean, I love uh, I love Shopify because I can see that it's a really great business, and I like Toby Lutke. Yeah, I've listened to his real. Uh, I've listened to his uh, "How I Built This" podcast a few times, and I, I follow him on Twitter. I just, I, I just think he's a uh, humble, smart dude who's trying to do the right thing and absolutely crushing it while he's doing it. And so, I yeah. really want him to succeed. But you know, I just can't get there to spend the money on it at the moment. And I kind of think that you get an opportunity at some stage where it's a little bit, a little bit cheaper. And I think that that's true of a lot of these companies that. I you know so Constellation same thing love Mark Leonard think that he's doing the right thing there still haven't quite figured out whether that buy it four or five times get a thirty times multiple in the market is sustainable or not or whether that gets arbed away but I'm I'm interested in successful unusual characters and I would love to back them I wish I found those guys a little bit earlier it's a good argument for like becoming a Ian Castle style microcap investor try and find those intelligent fanatics which love that book read that book kind of has is is having this um, profound impact on me at the moment i'm thinking about it a lot trying to think about and some of the discussions that we've had about peter kaufman i think that that's there's something to the way that those guys have arranged their lives that is um compelling and i I don't want to say too much at the moment because i do want to i want to do a full i may write a book about it uh, and I'm going to do some other stuff too, but it is. I think there's some very powerful uh, truths in there. Kaufman's the man, folks. If you don't know Peter Kaufman, do some research on him. There's it's hard though. He there, doesn't. Though. He doesn't see. Yeah, he doesn't seek the spotlight, so it's pretty tough. But well, true also of uh, Mark Leonard making it hard. That's true. The, the... I, I guess I'm not familiar with Mark. When you talk to people that know Peter, not one of them says anything bad. That's a hell of a legacy. The, the 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 discussions on Mark Leonard, like in in the Globe and Mail, are hilarious. They're like they don't know if he's English or South African. Like that's how <laughs> that's how well they know him. Does he have an accent? I, I have no idea. I've never heard him talk. I don't think I have either. I'm not sure he's not Santa Claus after that picture. He may be. Yeah. We're, well, we're, he is his investors. We're running out of time, gents. This has been a good one. As much as I'd like to extend it on. We're down to like three listeners at this stage of the proceedings. Everyone Thanks for sticking on. with us. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Move with the rhythm. Shake it up, stop when the clock gets 13. Sing one, two, three.